Glad to have you joining with us online or in person today and uh, looking forward to having many of you back with us next Sunday. But we want you to know you're still going to be able to do this online as well if you'd like to be able to do that. And we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to come together and to sing praises to the Lord and to be able to take some time around His Word together. I'd ask you to take your Bible with me this morning and turn to the book of Colossians once again. Colossians chapter 3. I love it how the Word of God speaks to every single issue that we face in our life. And I'm so thankful that God's Word has the truth. Times are bad. We know that it's all in God's hand and we're trusting Him for that. I want you to know I'm praying for each one of you and uh, trusting the Lord to provide for you and to provide for us and to see God continue to take us through this time. I was thinking this week of the story of the Apostle Peter as he was with those other disciples and they were on the boat there on the Sea of Galilee and the big storm blew up and they were so afraid for their lives and then they look up and they on the water to them. And Peter cries out to Jesus. He says, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus says, well, come. And, and Peter steps out of the boat and he's able to walk on the water. What an amazing story that in the midst of this awful storm, Peter could walk out and he could walk on water. And he stayed walking on that water until he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the waves and the wind and the storm around him. And he began to sink and he cried out to the Lord to save him. And I don't know about you, but that's sometimes what life feels like as a Christian, doesn't it? That we know we have the Lord and, and things are good and we're trusting in Him and we're looking to Him and, and we feel like, hey, we're starting to be able to walk through some difficult times and some struggles, but then something big happens. Maybe it's a big wave, maybe it's a big gust of wind, whatever. Something happens in life and, and we take our eyes off the Lord and we begin to sink into the waves around us and we find ourselves struggling and, and not at peace and we must continue to keep our eyes on the Lord even as we keep walking through this time that we're in right now. But not just this time, but all the time. And if you remember, Jesus then picks Peter up and he takes him back into the boat with him and Jesus calms the storm. He, with one word, is able to say, peace, and everything was still. And so we're trusting our Lord, even during this time. And I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe you're still in the boat looking out there saying, I don't know if I want to really walk with the Lord and trust Him like that. That's a little bit scary. I'd rather trust my boat than trust the Lord. Maybe you've taken some steps out and you are trusting the Lord, but you're not sure and the storm seems really scary. Wherever you're at this morning, I want you to know there is peace with the Lord. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 speaks directly to that. And I hope you'll follow along in your Bibles. I read just one verse of Scripture today, and we'll be focused on this idea of peace. Colossians 3, verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. We've been in this chapter, chapter 3 now, since Easter Sunday. And verse 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are 
above. And then we have this whole list of things that we're supposed to be putting off, that, those old grave clothes, if you will, and then all those things we're supposed to be putting on. I hope this week you were thinking as you got ready in the day or as you walked through your day, what kind of clothes, spiritual clothes am I wearing today? Am I just pretending that I'm walking with the Lord or am I actually putting on those things that God wants me to put on in my life? But here in this chapter, really it all feeds off of that first idea, that, that question or that uh, contingency, if you will, if ye then be risen with Christ. So because we are in Christ, because we have new life in Christ, we can put off those old things. We can put on those new things. But here in verse 15, there's a transition in the chapter as he transitions from just our character, what kind of things we ought to be putting into our lives, and he really transitions into our conduct, what that ought to actually look like. And you'll see in these verses, and we'll be studying through this over the next several weeks, how he's really speaking to the individual, but also to the church as a whole. And here in verse 15 that I just read, you can see that he talks about hearts, plural. He's not just talking to one person, he's talking to a group of people. And then he refers to them as being called together into a body. We are part of the body of Christ and part of a local church here. And so he's speaking to individuals and he's speaking to the church. So what I want us to think about this morning is this. What does life together in the body of Christ look like? Or what should it look like, right? Because we know that there are ideals laid out for us in Scripture. And then there's the reality of where we live. Now our reality is not an excuse to stay where we're at. But rather, we ought to have Christ as our goal. Because we are risen with Him, we ought to become like Him. And if we are risen with Christ, then there's a certain way that things should look and a certain way that we should behave as part of the body of Christ. The first thing we're going to look at this morning is the fact that being part of the body of Christ means that we must be ruled by the peace of God. Ruled by the peace of God. Of God. This word peace is that transcendent, God given tranquility, something that we have with God, the peace of God. This is a simple submission to the rule of God's peace. He says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart. This is something that we allow God to do in our hearts. Peter had the choice on the, when he was walking on the water that day of where he was going to look. If he was going to look at the storm or if he was going to look at Jesus. When Peter allowed the peace of Christ to be in his heart, he was able to walk on the water and be above the storm. When he looked away from the Lord and looked at the storm, that peace in his heart was gone and he quickly succumbed to the waves. Just like us today, we must allow God to His peace to have the rule in our heart. This term used that says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That word rule is an athletic term. It's like an umpire or a referee who's there at a sporting event and he is dictating how the game should be played. In a basketball game, he's the one that calls the fouls. 
He's the one who determines if it's out of bounds or inbounds, whether it's a three-pointer or a two-pointer. In baseball, the umpire calls the strikes and the balls. He determines whether it's foul or whether it's fair. The umpire is there to enforce the rules, to guide the game. The umpire doesn't make the game. The umpire doesn't play the game, but the umpire is there directing the game and making sure the players follow the rules, stay in bounds and perform like they're supposed to play. If you've ever played a basketball game like I have, pickup ball, have you ever played where it's where you call your own fouls? Maybe you've played a game like that, just a pickup game out in the yard. And there's always that one guy in the group who calls every little thing. Like you just barely touch him, ah, foul, foul. Pretty soon you figure it out. Anytime he misses a shot, he's going to call a foul. That's just how it works. Then he always has an excuse. Well, somebody fouled me. Somebody hit me, and that's why I missed the shot. Then there are those other guys. They're just so tough, you know. They, they never call a foul, and they never want you to call a foul on them. They think it's football and not basketball. They, they tackle you to the ground. It's like, come on, just, just play, just play, just play. It's important when you're playing sports to have a referee. If you don't have a referee, it just becomes anything goes, and people do whatever they want, and people don't act like they should, and they don't follow the rules of the game. Here he says that the peace of God must rule in our hearts or referee or umpire in our hearts. That's an interesting concept to think about, isn't it? That God's peace is the referee that should dictate how we behave, how our hearts act. God's peace tells you when you're safe and when you're not. He tells you, it tells you when you are in the right place and when you are in the wrong place. But when we think about the peace of God, I think it's very important that we first understand that the peace of God comes from being at peace with God. See, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that we are all enemies of God. There is no peace with God when we are living in our sin. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Of God. I don't want to go any further this morning without asking you this. Are you at peace with God? Have you made peace with God? God wants to make peace with you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins so that you could have peace with God. You can't even get to the part where God's peace is ruling your heart, the peace of God ruling your heart, until you are at first at, first at peace with God. Peace with God comes through salvation, a sinner who's brought to peace with God as he confesses his sin and trusts in Christ to be his Savior. No longer are we enemies of God, but now we're made children of God. 
and we're at peace with God. The peace of God comes from being at peace with God. It starts with salvation, but then we see it continued in the Christian's life as they are obedient to the Word of God. I love what Philippians 4 says about God's peace. It says, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by or through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. The peace of God begins when we're at peace with God. It's continued as we obey the Word of God. And I think we could also really add one more piece to that. It's continued in our heart. The peace of God is continued as we are obedient to the will of God. John 16, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Surprise, surprise, right? Why are we surprised when things are difficult? Why are we surprised when things don't go according to our plan? Why are we surprised when the world is not always a comfortable place to live? And yet it seems like we get surprised every time something, oh boy, what is going on? What are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? Where are we going to turn? This is the reality we live in. Why? Because too often we don't, allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. We allow the peace that comes with knowing I have a secure job, knowing that I have a, a warm bed to sleep in, knowing that I have easy access to food and to medicine and to medical care. We allow our peace to come from how much money we have in our bank account or our peace to come because Things are comfortable. I'm happy. I can go on vacation. I can do what I want. Too often, peace is not found in God, but peace is found in my ability to be in control of my own life. Folks, that's not a place to find true peace. You see, when we allow the peace of the comforts of this world to rule our hearts, that peace can be quickly taken away. We've seen that during this time, haven't we, as people are afraid, people are scared. This time is revealed, I think, to all of us in different ways. That perhaps even as Christians, we haven't been as faithful about finding our peace in the Lord and allowing God's peace to rule our hearts. Why? Because it's easy to do that. So quickly, we tend to go back to trusting in our own flesh. Trusting in our own ability to provide for ourselves. And what a, a silly thing to rest in, isn't it? Because we could have no ability to provide unless God first gave it to us. We, we could have no ability to do anything without God allowing us to do it. That's why we must let the peace of God rule our hearts. I would encourage you, though, that while we ought to let God's peace rule our hearts, there are some people that 
think they have the peace of God, and they'll use that as an excuse to do certain things. Right? They'll say, well, I have peace about this. And I would challenge you, while you must seek to have the peace of God ruling your heart, beware of false peace. Beware of false peace. You say, well, where does false peace come from? Well, a false peace can be caused by complacency. You know, even Jonah slept in a boat when there was a big storm going on outside. If you go back and read the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, here's a prophet who God commanded him to go and to preach to the Ninevites. And instead of going, what did he do? He went the opposite direction. He got on a boat headed for Tarshish. And he goes down into the hold of the boat and he falls asleep. And there's this great storm. And they're afraid that the boat is going to sink. And where's Jonah? He's sound asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, we don't know all that was going on in Jonah's life, but we know that he understood from later on verses in Jonah that he understood the mercy of God. He understood the grace of God. He understood that God just might forgive the Ninevites. But he also perhaps wasn't really concerned about what God could or would do to him. If you read the story of the nation of Israel at this time, you weren't seeing God in as active uh, involvement in the people. There had been no great miracles performed lately. There, there had been maybe no, no big visible sign of God's presence. But was God still at work? I mean, some of the ladies are going through a Bible study right now in the book of Esther. How many times is the name of God mentioned in Esther? Never, zero. But was God at work in Esther's time? Absolutely. Just because we don't see God's hand directly and say, oh, that clearly was God, doesn't mean God wasn't at work. Doesn't mean that God stepped aside or that God said, well, I'm going to take a break for a while and let things kind of fall apart and then I'll step back in. No, God is always involved. God always has His hands at work. God is always pushing things forward towards His glory and towards our good to fulfill His plan. So when you come into a difficult time or to a time of a lot of unknowns like we're in right now, it's not a time to doubt God's plan or God's purpose. It's not a time to say, well, God just doesn't seem to be working now like He used to. We can find ourselves drawn into complacency about the work of God and instead find a false peace where we're trusting in something else other than God. Beware of false peace. False peace can be caused by complacency, but I think it also can be caused by our own control of a situation. I mean, when you have everything lined out and things are working according to your plan, it's easy to say, well, clearly I'm doing what God wants me to do because God wouldn't bless it if, you know, like this. It wouldn't all work out like this if I was doing something that God didn't want me to do. What a foolish way to look at life because there are many people that have no clue of who God is, that aren't walking with God at all and yet still have good health, still have success in business, still are enjoying time with their families and children. We must beware of false peace because we can use this excuse of peace to really condone just about anything we want. 
You say, well, then how do I know it's real peace? How do I know it's peace with God? Well, the peace of God comes when we're obedient to His Word. When we're obedient to His commands. Peace with God doesn't mean everything's going to work out perfectly how I want it to. Because that would mean I know best, and I don't. Only He knows best. Peace with God is not just, well, things have been pretty easy for me lately. No, that's easy, that easily leads us off into a false peace. No, the, the peace of God can be there when things are good and when things are bad. The, the peace of God can be there when things are wonderful or when we're in a time of great tribulation. See, the peace of God never changes because God never changes. The question is whether or not you're allowing Him and His peace to rule in your heart. You probably know Psalm 23, verse 1, right? It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So I would ask you, why do we sometimes find ourselves in a position where I feel like I have these huge wants that aren't being met? Maybe it's because we're not following the Lord as our shepherd as we should. See, the shepherd didn't change. The shepherd didn't leave us. But maybe we strayed away from the shepherd. The peace of God doesn't change. The peace of God is always present in storms and in times of calm. The question is whether or not we're letting God's peace rule in our heart. The wonderful thing is we, the, this peace of God comes, begins with salvation, but we experience as we continue in obedience and with the will of God, as we draw closer to God, we experience in greater ways what the peace of God means to us in difficult times. I've got a couple people here today to help me illustrate this. So Grant and Thomas, they're going to come up and help me, to help me do this. So we're going to have Grant and Thomas just represent any person, any one of you. You stand over here and over here. And we're going to let the cross back here represent the Lord. This is where peace is found in the Lord, in salvation, in trusting in Him, and in walking in obedience to Him. So again, we're going to try to use a physical thing here to represent a spiritual idea. So follow with this. But if Thomas gets closer to Jesus, he experiences that peace greater in his heart, doesn't he, than if he's way out over there somewhere. The closer they get to the Lord, Grant, you can get a little closer here. We experience the, the peace of God in a greater way in our life. Now difficulty comes along. Maybe he gets knocked down. I'm not going to shove you down. Okay. Maybe he gets bumped because of difficulty and so he bounces away a little bit, but he says, no, i got to find, where's my peace found? See, as long as they keep their eyes on the Lord and draw closer to Him, there's great peace in their heart, ruling their hearts and their minds. But what so often happens is something else will come along. Some pretty girl or something, right? Some opportunity that says, well, if you come over here, you can... Earn, earn a lot of money if you go this way and we take our eyes off the Lord. Well, I'll find my peace over here. It's not wrong to earn money. But if I have to leave Christ to do it, I'm going the wrong direction, aren't I? 
See, the, the peace of God, when we allow it to rule our hearts, it ought to be the focus of everything that we do, that we put Christ first and we say, how can I get closer to Him? Anything that pulls me away from God is pulling me away from the peace of God. And when I'm not allowing the peace of God to rule, to umpire, to referee in my life, pretty soon I'm going to find myself in a place where the game doesn't even make sense anymore because we've taken the referee away. Or we have a referee who doesn't understand what the strike zone is. All you baseball fans know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you watch some of those guys. These guys are baseball fans. I know Grant is. Are, are you, Thomas? Not as much. I know Grant is, right? And, and you watch those. You go, come on. He, he doesn't know where the strike zone is. You're frustrated with him. That's the wonderful thing about having the peace of God ruling your heart or umpiring in your life because he knows exactly where the strike zone is. He, he knows exactly what is right and what is wrong, and He'll never lead you astray. Now, here's the wonderful thing here, because I want you to notice back in Colossians 3, verse 15, He says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is plural for a reason. Because, see, as Thomas lets God's peace rule in his heart as he gets closer to the Lord. And, and as Grant lets the peace of God rule in his heart and he gets closer to the Lord, what happens to both of them? They get closer to God, but they also get closer to each other. And, and this is the beauty of what he's talking about in this verse. This is an individual command, but it also applies to the body. It applies to the church. As these two individuals, as these two church members, as this uh, as these two friends, as this, this group up here, this family, whoever these are to you in your life, as you get closer to God and the other person gets closer to God, you get closer to each other as well. Now, here's the reality. Sometimes it happens. Thomas, we're going to let you be the bad guy for a minute. I know you're the youngest brother. You always get picked on. It's tough. So let's just say that, that Thomas stays over here for whatever reason. He, he doesn't draw as close to the Lord as Grant does, maybe even turns away and walks away. That'd be a very sad thing in reality. We hope that's not going to happen, right? You're going to follow the Lord. But just for sake of illustration. Now, what happens to Grant over here? Is he still close to the Lord? Yes. Does he miss this person over here that's not as close anymore? Sure. But as Christians, we've got to be careful. Where do we have to keep our eyes? Where do we find our peace? In Christ if he allows his peace to be taken away, he says, well, I'd rather be close to him than be close to the Lord. What happens? He can get pulled away from the peace of God too, can't he? Happens to Christians all the time. We allow somebody else to take our focus and to take our purpose away from the Lord. But if he stays close to the Lord, what can he do? Can he still pray for this person over here? Absolutely. Can he still love this person? Sure, he ought to. Can he still care about him and reach out to him and help him? Sure. And in fact, probably the best way to do it is say, I'm here on Christ. You can grab onto the cross here and he can reach out and try to bring his brother back, right? But he doesn't leave the peace that's found in Christ. I hope you understand, I'm not just talking about two teenage boys, almost teenage. Thomas joins the youth group in, in just a few weeks, so this is a big moment. I'm not trying to grow them up too fast, mom and dad, but not just talking about these two boys. I'm talking about every single one of us must find our peace in God and allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. So every decision these guys make needs to be run through the filter. Is this right with God? Does this keep me close to God? Is this allowing God's peace to rule my heart, or am I chasing after something else? 
because chasing after anything else other than allowing the peace of God to rule our hearts will always lead us astray. That's true no matter if you're talking about your academics, your career pursuits. It's true whether you're talking about the pursuit of a spouse, a a significant other in your life, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's true whether it's a friend or a spouse, anybody. Anything that takes us away from the Lord is taking us the wrong direction. Thank you, guys. You did a good job demonstrating peace. You can be seated, and uh, thank you for helping us with that. I hope that helps you understand what it looks like to allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts. There's benefits for you personally, but there's also benefits corporately. That's what I want you to see second of all here. Not only must you allow the peace of God to rule in your heart, but the peace of God must also rule in the church. Rule in the church. He says it here, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And then notice the next phrase, to the which also ye are called in one body. Today we're talking about peace. Next week it's going to be talking about letting the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. See, there's a whole bunch of things that the body ought to be finding that are true about it. If that body, that church, is walking in obedience to God. I think the first first thing that we ought to see in our lives as believers, if if we are putting off those old ways, putting off those grave clothes, and we are putting on those new things that we ought to be putting on, we ought to have lives that are marked by peace because we're letting God's peace rule our hearts. And when you get a group of people together that are doing the same thing, You have a church that is ruled by peace. A church that allows God's peace to rule its heart collectively is a beautiful thing. Why? Because this church has family units that are behaving like they should one to another. Don't worry, if you want to read ahead, just go down in Colossians 3. He talks about how families are to behave. Husbands and wives, parents and children. He even talks about the employer-employee relationships. He talks about all these various interpersonal relationships that go on in a church. Can you imagine what it must have been like when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter? He's locked in prison and he's writing a letter to a church that he had never personally visited himself. That was the church at Colossae. And he sends a man with the letter... To, to the church, if you go to chapter 1, I think it'll tell you right there. See, it's Paul and Timothy. They're writing together and they're sending this letter to this church. He talks about Epaphroditus, who was the minister to them. And so they're sending this letter to this church. You know who was a member of this church? He's actually quite well known in Scripture. There's a whole book of the Bible named after him. A man by the name of Philemon. You don't have to go far to find a particular letter written to him. Think about that. what, must, what that must have been like. As here's the letter to the whole church. Here's how you ought to behave to one another. Oh, and Philemon, I've got a personal letter for you from Paul as well. 
Now, if you know anything about the book of Philemon, he's writing about a particular situation about a slave that Philemon owned by the name of Onesimus. So if we understand this correctly, Onesimus was probably along with them as this letter is being read to the church at Colossae and he's dealing with how they ought to behave one toward another. If you know the story of Onesimus, you know he was a slave that ran away. And in those times, if you ran away as a slave, you could lose your life. Something happened, Onesimus gets locked up in prison with Paul. That's where Paul meets him. Onesimus comes to Christ, and now Paul is sending Onesimus back to the church at Colossae. And he tells Philemon in the book of Philemon that you ought to accept him no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Can you imagine what that must have been like that Sunday morning when they read the letter of Colossians to the church at Colossae? And then Philemon gets this personal letter to him from Paul, and Onesimus is standing there. What a stir that must have made when they walked into church that week. It's A lot of Bible scholars think that perhaps the church met at Philemon's house that he was a, a wealthy man and had a, had a large place of living, and so the church would all gather at his house, and that's where they would have services. Can you imagine? They're coming into Philemon's house, possibly, and they're reading this letter of all the things that they should put off and all the things they should put on and how they should behave one toward another. And he says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are called in one body. And here's Philemon, and here's Onesimus, the master and the slave. But no longer now in Christ they are brothers. See, a church where the peace of God rules is a beautiful thing. Because you can have masters and servants. You can have people who used to be enemies. You can have people from all different backgrounds, culturally, ethnically, economically, all gathered together. Why? Because it's not about who has the most money. It's not about who's the smartest. It's not about who drives the nicest car. It's not about who has the most connections in the community. It's not about the guy that has the house that everybody meets at. It's not even about the guy who was a slave. They're one body in Christ. What a beautiful thing it is to have a church that's ruled by the peace of God. True peace in the church comes when each person in the church is at peace with God and allowing the peace of God to rule their hearts. I think I, I was just writing down some ideas here, but I think there's at least four things that you would see in a church that is ruled by the peace of God. I think a church that allows God, God's peace to rule is a church with a singular focus. Because we're all together, we're all focused on Christ. I think a church that allows God's peace to rule is a church that has a unified purpose. They know where they're going and they're headed there. Yes, there's difficulty along the way. There's unknowns that pop up, whether they be viruses or wars or famines or financial struggle. But we know where we're headed we have one focus. We have one purpose. 
I believe, too, a church that allows God's peace to rule is a church that is unfazed by the problems around them. Because just like Peter, who's standing there on that water with waves all around him, he's standing on solid ground. How's that? Well, it's just water. Because with the Lord, he can even take the worst storm and make it seem like solid ground. Because it's his peace ruling our hearts. I think a church that allows God's peace to rule is a church that reaches the lost. You say, why? Because there are people all around us, especially now, when it feels like the rug has been ripped out from underneath them. They've lost a job. They've lost their health. They've lost a family member, a friend. They've lost the thing that gave them peace. And now it's gone. And they've realized that something else was bringing them peace and that something else has been taken away. Oh, a church that's ruled by peace is a church that reaches the loss. It says, we can show you where you can stand, where you can be confident, where you can trust, where you can have peace. You can have it with the Lord. Oh, there's so much that could be said about peace, peace in our hearts, peace in the church. But he gives us one big thing here at the end of verse 15 that is an evidence of peace. The peace of God ruling our hearts. You see it right there at the end of the verse. He says, And be ye thankful. Thankful people are a people that are at peace. The peace of God will produce peace thankfulness in our hearts. Now it's interesting, I looked up this word that's translated for us, thankful. This is the same root word that's used to talk about giving thanks and thanksgiving and and thanks all throughout the New Testament. But it's interesting because in this particular case it's used in a way that it's not used any other time in the New Testament. It's used often as a noun. It's used often as a verb. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used as an adjective. Now, you know what an adjective is, right? It's a describing word. Some of you say, we're we're doing homeschool right now. We're not keeping up with English. I understand. An adjective is a describing word. It describes a noun or it describes another type of word, another part of speech. And here he says... We should be described by thankfulness. Would somebody describe you as a thankful person? Would somebody describe our church as a thankful church? See, I believe a church that is ruled by the peace of God is a church that will be a thankful church. I think people that are allowing the peace of God to rule their hearts will be thankful people. How are you doing? The next book of the Bible right after Colossians is 1 Thessalonians. There's a verse there that says, In everything, give thanks. For this... This, right now, whatever you're in right now, this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, when we're letting God's peace rule our hearts, we can find peace wherever we're at. This, right here, whatever this is, I can be thankful. Why? Because I'm at peace with God and I have God's peace ruling my heart. Generally, a lack of peace results from self-seeking or dissatisfaction with things as they are. When you're dissatisfied, you're not going to be thankful. It's like if you sit down to eat, you go to lunch today, and you sit down, you look down at what's on your plate, and you say, ugh, I don't like this. I wish I had something different than this. You're not thankful for that, are you? We've had those times at our dinner table. I don't know if I want to eat that. I, I don't like those. Are you thankful for it? Thank you. Ooh. Isn't that how we treat God sometimes? God, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks, right? God, I, I would be thankful if you gave me something different. No, God says we, we ought to be thankful with what we have. How can we be thankful with what we have? We must be at peace with God and having the peace of God rule in our hearts. Folks, as I read this, as I've meditated on this this week, I realize there are so many areas in my own life where so often I'm not really letting the peace of God rule my heart. This is a convicting message to the person standing here. Because so often we allow our peace to be found in something else, really sometimes anything else. Sunday, yeah, I'm at peace with God. I'm letting the peace of God rule my heart. Things are good. I put my happy church face on. But then I go home. For some of us, some of you maybe, you know, it's almost like a battle in the car on the way to church. And then we get in, we put our smiling face on, and we walk in. Why? Because I think as a Christian, we know we should have the peace of God. We should allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. But so often the things of this world are really important to us. There's a song that we sing sometimes that says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. See, just like those boys were up here a few minutes ago, when your eyes are on the cross, when you're letting God's peace rule your heart, everything else is blurry. Everything else is far away. Nothing else is as important because the peace of God is ruling your heart. How are you doing this morning? Are you thankful for where God has you right now? Are you thankful for how God is providing for you today? You know, God never promised to provide for you tomorrow what He's already provided for you today. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have enough for today, then you have enough. You have enough. Oh, I love the stories, and you've probably read some of them, of men like George Mueller who had an orphanage with some 2,000 orphans that he took care of, and, and he never once asked anybody for money. He never once asked anybody for donations. Instead, he would just take it to the Lord in prayer. He would pray, and they saw God provide over and over again. 
I find it hard enough to feed five children. I can't imagine feeding 2,000. Kids get hungry. And it's even worse than those Snickers commercials about what people look like when they, you know, haven't had something to eat. Adults are the same sometimes. How did George Mueller do that? Well, he must have found his peace with God. He must have let God's peace rule his heart. To be able to sit down as the stories have, have been told and to sit down at a table with all these orphans sitting there and not anything to feed them and say, children, let's bow our heads and thank God for the food that He's going to provide, knowing full well there's no food in the cupboard, there's no food on the table, there's no food anywhere in the house, and to bow their heads and pray and thank God for the food, only to hear a knock at the door, and to go and to open the door and to see the baker there who said, God impressed on my heart that I was supposed to bring all this bread over to you today. Do you think you could use it? Or another time to hear a knock at the door and, to, and the milkman to stop and say, my cart is broken down. I need to get rid of all this milk so I can repair the wheel on my cart. i got to get some weight off of it. Could you use some milk? Can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of those children in that house? And to see as their leader, George Mueller, bow his knee and pray and ask God to bless and to provide and then to hear the knock at the door and to see God provide. Maybe you're listening to this and think, I don't know if God does things like that anymore. I think He does. But too often we found our peace in what we can provide and what we can do. And how great we have it in our smarts and our ability. What humility, what thankfulness to be able to bow your head and to pray and to thank God for something that He hasn't even provided yet. You see, if you are thankful, it only comes from a place of peace in your heart. If you don't have peace in your heart, if you're not letting the peace of God rule your heart, you can never be truly thankful. A thankful person doesn't exalt themselves. They exalt the one who's giving them what they need. The peace of God. We must let it rule our heart. The peace of God. We must allow it to rule in our church. The peace of God will produce thankfulness as we walk with Him. You say, wow, that sounds like a really high ideal. I don't know if I could be like George Mueller. Well, be thankful you're not responsible for feeding 2,000 children today. He didn't start out there. My family and I, we listened on CD to a biography of George Mueller. In fact, as a young man, he was a wicked man. And, and he was studying for the ministry and he was living a wicked lifestyle at the same time. He was studying the ministry because at that time, if you got into a church, it was an easy paycheck. And his dad thought this would be a good place for George to be. But during that time, he got around some people whose lives were different because they had been changed by the grace of God. They had trusted in the Lord as their Savior, 
And he came to saving faith in Christ as well. And he purposed in his life, in his heart, he even told his wife, I want to live trusting the Lord to provide. Now, he wasn't a perfect man. You can find some things about George Mueller that you say, well, I'm not sure I would agree with everything he did. That's okay. You probably don't even agree with yourself all the time either. But George Mueller was a man of faith. He was a man that I would say exhibited great peace because of all the stuff he had to take care of. How did he do it? Well, Colossians 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Put off those old deeds of the flesh and put on righteousness in Christ. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Father, I pray that you'd help us. I feel unworthy even to preach this verse because this is not always true in my life. But I'm thankful I don't have to preach it as a perfect person, but rather someone who's just proclaiming the truth that you've given to challenge me and to challenge every single other person that reads your word or that hears this message. Father, we pray for peace. We know that true peace comes in you. I pray that you would encourage the one today who is hurting, who feels like they're in a tailspin, life is out of control. Help them to find the solid ground that comes when they fix their eyes on you. There are so many things that pull us away. And I think every person right now, to one degree or another, feels pulled and, and stretched. Lord, may they not give up. May they let your peace rule their heart. We need you. Thank you for your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I hope the message has helped your heart. Looking forward to next Sunday, having a few more folks here with us. Not everybody will be back yet. That's okay. Uh, we'll let folks come back as they're comfortable doing it. Have our seats socially distanced apart. But even in a time of social distancing, we ought to be not spiritually distant, but rather spiritually drawing close and even closer every day to the Lord. Find your peace in Him. That's where it's found. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our worship service at Arise Baptist Church this morning. If you've received a special blessing from the message, or if you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. We can be reached via email at info at arisebaptistchurch.org, or you can connect with us on our Facebook page. We would also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of our services are posted there, and we are also uploading devotional content throughout the week. We would also like to invite you to join our Sunday night small group classes. Those are done via Zoom, and you can find the link on our Facebook page. Thank you again for joining our service this morning, and we trust that you've received a blessing as we sought to magnify and exalt the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, and have a great afternoon.